listening to I Feel For You. I'm Dion, a creative coach, yoga, movement and meditation teacher, writer, DJ, polymath, human, being, working on more being. This is episode 39 and just a word before we jump in that I make show notes for you every week for the podcast with lots of links and resources so anything that I've mentioned and referenced in this show will be in the show notes and you can find them if you go to ifeelforyoupodcast.com. This is episode 39. Thank you so much for being here and thank you to every one of you that has given me the most amazing feedback these weeks. I'm so happy that these podcasts are resonating with you and that they're useful for you. This is why I do this work. I'm here at your service. So know you can always reach out to me to request me to chew on a particular topic. Um, Know that you can ask me questions as well. You can write to me. You can leave me a voicemail. You can reach out to me on socials, wherever feels most comfortable for you. Again, all the links to find me will be in the show notes. Side note, I'm lurking quite a bit on Instagram, especially in the stories with you guys. You can find me at Dion, that's uh, as in Warwick, D-I-O-N-N-E, with nine underscores because I'm extra. I know, I know. I used to be Dion Yoga many, many years ago, but here we are. It's all right. We evolve and so on. Anyway, so just a word that, as you can probably tell from the title of this show, I am talking about grief. And so if you feel a bit triggered by that, maybe skip to a different show or check out the show notes where there's lots of resources I've made available. And to anyone listening and moving through difficult stuff right now, I'm with you, I'm holding space for you, and I just really hope this is useful. So let's take a moment, shall we, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just to take a deep breath. Nice. Maybe a couple more, just because. And if it feels good with your exhale, maybe try and drop the shoulders a little bit. Soften the muscles around your jaw. Soften your belly. Nice. You did great. Thanks for joining me in that little centering moment. Shall we step into this episode? So I've been writing about grief and feeling the familiar and now 23-year-old heaviness in my bones and tissues, the legacy of loss that's the same, same but different, and realising that it's possible to inhabit both sadness and hope, I think, at least I feel, I believe, I live. Although the path to healing isn't always linear, we transcend. And sometimes we learn to live with this feeling and its forms. So to anyone who might have been touched by the pain of loss in some way, I wish for you a reminder of hope that will emerge eventually in ways perhaps we might not expect, but as a welcome guest anyway. So here's to all the ways we grow and heal. So here's a story. 
a story, fiction, non-fiction, words placed together about grief and life. Running away from an emotion is a sure way to carry it with you. Nayira Wahid. Melissa, what do I remember of her? This mischief we would get up to. The study week featuring boys and oven chips. No studying in said study week. Playing with makeup inspired by a book on 80s style face paint. Her teaching me how to shave one's legs, although I have never shaved them since. And dancing around her living room table to Mysterious Girl, her choice, followed by her deep breathing, huffing and fawing about how much she enjoyed Peter Andre. And always be my baby with me trying to ad-lib like Mimi and she doing the escape backing vocals in two-step. We would go to the local shop together and smoke in a stairwell nearby. It was located around the corner of my house and I'm stunned by how outrageous it is that I had the audacity to do that. These were the times I was beyond hope perhaps and also learning to be too spunky for my own good. I'd moved around a lot even then. The schools were totting up and the level of trust in my parents was non-existent by then, playing a game of let's pretend. Let's pretend there's no abuse in this family home. Let's pretend the money I earn in my job doesn't get spent on stuff that we so urgently need like electricity or food but instead on feeding a habit that's masking a lifetime of trauma. Let's pretend that we aren't aware of what's really going on, becoming mute in our witnessing. Let's pretend we're a happy family. My trust was kept for the world outside, which seemed like my potential playground. One day I'll be free became my mantra. So why shouldn't I try to sneak into clubs and go somewhere I wasn't supposed to? There was only one time my father told me I couldn't wear what I wanted. I imagined it to be like the scene in Clueless where Cher descends the stairs and argues coquettishly with her father, then does what she wants anyway. Except mine featured more threats, more violence, less father-daughter bonding. And I was 17, therefore my father 36, my mum 32. So young, in many ways, why wouldn't they worry or try to protect me? Melissa, how shocking it was to lose such a super spirit. Her wide, big, blue eyes, her inquisitive playfulness, charming and equally cheeky. She had a way with people that broke barriers. Her openness and willingness to just be herself was always inspiring, brave. I think about her face. I was haunted by it for so long after, imagining what her death did to her, how it robbed that beautiful face, replacing her soft immaculate skin with purple sores, blotches from the septicemia. How no one knew when it was happening, what was happening. How frightened she must have been. She didn't make it to the hospital. The ambulance had to pull over and she died by the side of the dual carriageway. The haunting about what road it was made my world small. Terrified that I was driving over it. And her ghost, without honouring the place she left her body, felt disrespectful. The haunting of guilt too, from not going to see her at the morgue. Also the fact that I didn't wait at the end of the funeral service to see dirt and fresh-cut roses scattered on her white coffin. I didn't choose to jump out of a tiny plane to fundraise for a charity we raise money for in her honour. 
Instead, I waited in a field, alone with a bulky camcorder and all my batteries, tapes and other equipment needed to document the others who did jump, in order for me to make a film about the event, which I never edited. By then, I'd sunken into a deep depression. Nothing seemed important, not my A-level exams, nor anyone around me who cared. My world became as small as the room I spent my days in, a double bedroom I shared with my mum, located in a temporary safe yet unsafe house, and was mostly horizontal in the double bed we shared in that room. I hid in that place and watched daytime TV until I began to look forward to it each day, the only reason worth continuing with anything. Sometimes I think about that field where I was poised and waiting for those who had bravely chosen to throw themselves out of that plane. I cursed the idea for I was too scared to jump. Too scared. Anxiety, the double edge of my depression sword, rendered my world small, smaller than it had ever been. But perhaps what was intimidating was leaving my father a few months earlier and with it my some part teenage home. I hadn't been allowed out to play with any other kids until that house. And there were two friends I was allowed to be with, both of whom were well known to my parents and vetted for being trustworthy enough. But this was strictly limited, of course, each conversation an opportunity to eavesdrop, and they weren't allowed into our private prison. It was strictly forbidden. But now Melissa had gone, I wondered if it were a punishment for me starting to dare to begin living. At that point, my world was opening up, yet I'd lost my partner in crime, my mischief mate, the girl who waited near the bushes of my house in the mornings so we could walk to catch the school bus together, and who said goodbye and see you tomorrow every afternoon, she always hopefully pleading I might ask to go to the local shop with her that night, respectfully checking if it was okay if she called me or rang our doorbell, because she understood the potential punishment that even asking for these tokens of freedom might cost me. She understood how I had to live my life outside of the home secretly, how I was always on edge, even hidden by bushes by my home, because eyes were always watching and how we had a code for speaking on the phone, strictly timed, then charged, 20p for 30 seconds to receive a call, knowing someone was listening on the line upstairs. She knew all this. She kept my secrets, yet still, somehow, wanted to be my friend. At my darkest moments of anxiety and depression, many were confused why it only seemingly hit me a year after losing my best friend. And that, I guess, was simply an example of how, in death, especially in the West, we can be so alone in our grief. Also, a demonstration that grief has many parts, facets and processes. I remember speaking with a friend, Sam, about death when she lost someone close to her. She spoke of the loneliness that accompanied loss, and I agreed, for we really are at sea in this relentless place. For we really are alone in this loss, this gulf of relentlessness. It has no familiar or linear timeline and therefore renders us seemingly ill-equipped to deal with it. And by deal with it, I mean acknowledging it, sitting in it, with it, for it is so deeply uncomfortable, horrendously degrading, unsettling, distressing 
and painful. But what I know for sure is it's all of those things even when we successfully avoid sitting with it. And I'm not trying to push or force others into dealing with anything they aren't ready to confront. Or a better way to put it perhaps is to be with. Rather, I'm illustrating that my process began with a year of surviving through coping mechanisms. Those I was trained for with military detail. To act and pretend. To live lives within lives. Secret ones. Albeit those coping mechanisms arguably destructive. Fucking up my predicted A plus and 2B A level results and ignoring my unconditional university offer of a place to study, a dream course in filmmaking and writing in favour of taking three years out to work, buy a house and move through my parents' ugly divorce and my own family breakup. I'd seemingly defied the odds of spiralling into the depths of despair, at face value of course. I was working, I owned a house at 18, eventually driving and owning my own car, had a relationship, yet behind closed doors I was living a lie. My relationship echoed what I'd learned, and I'd become another domestic violence hidden statistic. I was drinking at home alone and lived with an eating disorder that could easily be hidden too, for my life could be as small as I wanted it to be. I was good at hiding the stuff that hurt. I sought help eventually after much persuasion, but felt betrayed as I was told I had too many problems and began to be passed on to others who repeated that. I gave up, deciding to accept what was dealt, medicating my pain how I could for many years. These traumas I now know were life-changing, affirming, defining, or rather the catalysts that would ask me to decide how I would proceed eventually, yes, indeed. But not without wandering vastly wide and far from anything I'd known at that point. Moving constantly, countries, cities, towns, jobs, relationships, endings and beginnings, which is life, and also so much of my life trajectory to that point. Being comfortable in the turbulence of both, and also using them as a way to survive. Just keep swimming. I've never even seen Finding Nemo, but perhaps maybe I should. Would I be that filmmaker I yearned to be 20 years earlier? Would I be writing, telling stories as I'd love to do for as long as I could put pencil to paper? Would I have been a completely different person? I'm not sure. I knew, even then, that writing was a healing medium for me. I'd been writing all my life and wrote even more when Melissa left. One of my A-levels was English, Literature and Language and it gave me space to process, particularly the language part with a teacher's name I can't remember now and I never got to thank her. In my time in her class, I became someone I didn't recognise. I began studies as a student and human that was born to serve parents, family, friends, teachers, employees and over time changed. I snapped back at this teacher once, one of the people who was the most compassionate, testing her and daring her to do something awful to me, to justify the horrendous feeling I felt inside, but she never did. My obstinance and acting up in class was met with a patience and kindness many of us don't get to touch often, if at all. 
I would complete my homework assignments and write poetry as angry and ugly and as vile as possible, and she held space for it. Also, without me knowing, she submitted a couple of my poems to a competition which, as a prize, published them in a book. But because I wanted to self-sabotage so eagerly, I didn't sign the waiver slip to give my permission. At 17, I'd met a goal to be published, yet because I was so enveloped in the darkness of grief, along with accompanying friends, hatred and anger, which of course all lay in sadness, I ruined anything hopeful and good. Opportunities for potentially wonderful things like freedom, joy and delight were replaced with gloom, self-destruction and misery. A loss of hope. Loss. It at some point meets us all robbing us of something we loved, leaving us with territory to grapple with that we might not feel equipped for. But losing my best friend at 16 and still grappling with the meaning of it and subsequent consequences, I realise this event is not in isolation. It's part of so many other stories I carry and paths we are walking. Sure, I would probably have a different life if I'd chosen another adventure, jumped out of that plane, actually turned up for my A-level exam, taken a higher dose of beta blocker, submitted my poetry, and so on. But then I wouldn't have met Melissa, probably. Okay, less silver coating. What I do know is that since losing my best friend age 16, I've had many other lives. I've been born and died many times over, started again, left everything behind, built and destroyed Loss has, on reflection, given me the opportunity to live and die, to create and be barren, to be so consumed with grief, I touch a different freedom. I guess it's enabled me to practice hope above everything else, to keep on trying, to crawl when I can't stand, even in the times I gave up, or at least when it felt like I was giving up. I was never really. It was rebirth because death is a part of life. There were times, a number of times, when I felt I was dead inside yet still alive. And in those times, eventually, the glimmer of hope, which sometimes doesn't look like hope, shows itself. It might look like a crazy intervention. Some of mine have included a wildly and scarily psychic dream that spooked everyone in it and ejected me from one of the most toxic relationships of my life. A bolt of clarity in the middle of the night that led to a Johnny Five-type reading of 52 university prospectuses which led to my decision to go to university three years after I was supposed to, even though I'd arguably built another surface-level stable life. And a sudden decision to pack my bags and move countries, retrain in a different career. And this stuff has happened a number of times, but you get the idea. We think that loss is the end. I did. And sure, parts of me died, but new parts of me grow. And it's the same for all of us. We continue to grow. We are constantly evolving through our pain and grief and trauma. It changes us on a cellular level. This is evident and scientifically proven. So to those who might be in the dark place, worried this will be the only feeling you will ever know, trust in your life your lives. You will keep living. You will know other feelings and other lives. You won't forget. You'll never forget. But you are healing. 
You might not see or feel it right now, but know you will find new ways to heal, new ways to live, new ways to feel better, to comfort yourself in your loss. And my hope for you is the solace of knowing that you contain multitudes. Friends, if you're navigating the grief journey, I've pulled together some resources that I made and tools that can help you in your process. There's a blog post called Resources for Grief and Sadness in Difficult Times, which links to a few different things, including a video practice called Yoga for Grief and Sadness. And you can also find that on my YouTube channel if you search for me there. Uh, I'm Dion Yoga, that's my handle. Also, I speak about grief a fair amount in this podcast, hopefully with hope as well. Also, there are a couple of podcasts where I speak more on the topic of grief, like Grief, Sadness and Life Online. That's podcast episode 31. So that might be useful for you to give some space to your feelings. There's also links in the show notes of that episode to more online resources like Affordable Therapy, Black and Indigenous Therapist Networks, Trauma Tools and more. And there's also another story time in this podcast where I spoke about grief, music, art, neuroscience, hope, anxiety, insomnia, joy. And it's called Who Do You Love? Never Forget to Say Thank You. And that's episode 35. Also, the last episode might be helpful for you. There's lots of ideas for you to shift your state. So in case it's helpful, that's episode 38 and it's called 15 self-care ideas to shift your state. Most of all, I hope you feel held and reminded whatever stage you're at, that you're not alone, that there is help and support out there for you. So please reach out because you're deserving of care, love and support. Maybe you're not navigating grief right now, but perhaps someone close to you is. And if that's the case, I hope that this episode has been helpful in giving you some perspective and maybe ideas of how you can support them. So do feel welcome to share your stories with me if it helps and if you feel safe, of course. You can always leave me a comment or a voicemail or contact me on the socials. Links to all of those things will be in the show notes. I would love to hear what has helped you on your journey. And also if you've got any tips and ideas you have on the topic that I might share with others who need it so they can access them. I really appreciate you listening and I appreciate your attention so much. And if this episode has helped or inspired you in any way, I would love it so much if you could share it with someone that you care about who might dig it too. And please feel free to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts if you're feeling especially generous because it truly means the world to hear your feedback and it also really helps me to keep making the show each week. I appreciate you. Now, please go and do something nice for yourself and let me know let's be accountable to ourselves and each other thank you so much 